Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. I want to pray before I get into my message this morning. Holy Spirit, Ruach, Elohim, (laughs) the breath of God, the Spirit of God, I ask you to blow in this room right now. (laughs) He's, He's answering my prayer. Flow, Lord. Holy Spirit, I I pray right now in Jesus' name that you'll quicken our spirits. Help us, Lord, to listen with our minds, but even more to listen with our spirits. I, I, I ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying right now. Minds and hearts to perceive Help us, Lord, to to see your truth from a spirit realm level this morning. Let it be impactful. I I pray, God, that you'll let truth be impactful today in a a way that will help us to reset and refresh, realign, and rise to new levels, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, I'm going to do a part two from last week, as, as promised, called Why We Need Christmas. And last week I had, there, there's so much. I, I find myself just repetitiously having this struggle of thing. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to preach and teach things that as I'm doing it, I'm realizing there's so much depth to it that I, I don't want to just gloss over things. So I like dig in and and then I realized, man, I, I made more notes than the dig-in has time for. Does that make sense? So that's, that's where my struggle is, but I don't care. I think it's a good struggle. And, and we want to keep going after this stuff. So I'm going to pick up pretty much where I left off last week, but I, I talked about why we need Christmas, and I didn't really get to land right where I wanted to. So I'm hoping today I get to land the place that I want to. Um, so it carries on from last week, but I, I talked about God's original design when he created the earth, everything in it, and he created humanity. He created Adam, he created Eve, and, uh, and, and what his intents were. And I want to just dig into that more and go after it, cause, and I, wanna, I hope to talk about what was stolen from humanity and why Jesus came and gave us Christmas to bring restoration back to all things that God originally designed. Amen? So that's where I want to get to. So if you guys want to open your Bibles with me to Genesis, and I'm going to start with verse, or chapter 1, 27 through 28. So God, Elohim, that's the name of God. It's the plural form of God. It's the, the God who created this earth is Elohim, the plural, which means Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right from verse 1. Amen? So verse 27, so Elohim 
created man in his own image. Everybody say, in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Everybody say, male and female. That's a beautiful thing right there. He created them. Then God blessed them. Everybody say, blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful, say be fruitful, and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, have dominion, let's say that again, but stronger, have dominion, that's a powerful word, dominion, powerful word, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth, and later he talks about giving them authority over all things that creep on the earth. And that includes the devil. Amen? So God created man in his own image, in his own likeness, and, and he was excited to have children. He wasn't just trying to create humanity so he could have a bunch of servants on this earth, although we should be servant-hearted towards him. He, he created sons and daughters. He created a family, and he wanted to fill the entire earth with his family who are carrying open heaven realities on this earth the, the accesses of heaven, bringing that to the earth. God gave us full access in the Garden of Eden, I believe, to the tree of life that is m mentioned in Revelation. Okay, the, the, Jesus said, I'm going to give you access to the tree of life if you overcome. Amen? <clears throat> and so I believe that Adam and Eve were carrying open heaven realities on earth. God gave them flesh so that they could be made of the same substance that the earth is, this physical, tangible realm, but he breathed the Spirit of God from heaven into them so that they would be walking, living, breathing, heaven-on-earth encounters. Amen? And so God, God didn't just want to rule from heaven. He wanted his children who are made of physical substance so that they could actually have true legal dominion on this earth. You, you, you have dominion because you're part of the place that you're reigning in. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Genesis tw chapter 2, skip over there, and we're going to go to verse 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree, everybody say, every tree, okay, of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, everybody say, knowledge, knowledge. of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, okay, you shall surely die, the day you eat of it. You shall surely die. And God gave Adam and Eve full free range for all things in this earth. You have full access. You can have as much of it as you want. You can do whatever you want. He gave them total liberty and freedom in this earth. There is only one rule. God never intended for there to be religion and religious law that had hundreds of rules that nobody could possibly live up to on their own abilities. Okay, he, he had one, one rule, and that was that they should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave them the tree of life, the tree of life that gives healing and eternal life. They could eat of it as much as they want, but this one tree, stay off of it. Okay, of course he gave them free will, 
which is a good thing. That's a loving and merciful and generous thing to give because God wants people to choose Him, not just to have to obey Him. Okay? Love is supposed to be a choice, not a requirement. Amen? All right. So there's only the one rule. And He gave them complete freedom. God loves freedom. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So God loves freedom. Amen? So when he said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, that statement, you shall surely die, literally means dying, you shall die. Dying, you shall die. So that means that, that you start entering into an, an ongoing perpetual death process until you come to complete death. If you could imagine plucking roses for your loved one, and it's beautiful, but then you, and you put it in the vase, and it's beautiful for a few days, and then after a while it withers, and then it goes like this. Like most of the flowers in our house end up being. I need to do that more often for my wife. I do do it sometimes, though. But, but he's saying that death is going to, it's going to begin... The process will begin the very moment that you sin by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? I want to remind you that that word knowledge, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the word knowledge is the Hebrew word yada, and yada doesn't just simply mean that you know something cognitively, you don't just understand it, but you know it through the experience of it. All right? you, you engage your life with this thing, and you know it intimately. So he's saying that if you eat of that tree, you're going to intimately engage and experience good and evil. You're going to enter into evil. And prior to this day that the, they, the, they send, God created everything, and he said, it is all very good. Everything is good. Okay, the only, I told you this last week, the only day that God didn't say it is good was the day that he created the firmament, and that's because that's where he let Satan, who fell from heaven, he, he had to give him some place to be, right? He didn't call that good, but everything else that God created was good. So he gave Adam and Eve total freedom, total access to this whole world, and he gave them dominion and freedom to do whatever you want. Just be wise. Don't participate with this thing that's going to open your access to a realm I never intended for you to experience, evil. They already had the knowledge of good. This was going to simply just open up one more element, one more realm that they didn't already have, evil. So God was actually trying to shield and protect his children from never having to experience the hounds of hell. Okay? That was his intention. That was his plan from the very beginning. All right, flip over to chapter 3. I probably should open mine too. <laughs> I was going off of some things I put on my iPad there. All right, Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 1. Now the serpent, you guys know who that is, right? The Satan. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
Let's just stop there because I want to just point out that Satan's strategy with God's children, he can never just come in and overtake a child of God. He can only come in through the access gates that we allow him to. Okay, And, and one of his most powerful weapons and actually one of his few successful weapons against people who are born of God is, is to bring deception or to to lure you into false belief systems, okay? That's why Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Okay, so the enemy tries to do anything he can to deceive us into believing something that wasn't actually true to God. So right now what he's doing is he's trying to twist Eve's perspective on something that God said. He's trying to get her to question what God truly said, okay? Questioning God's truth is the beginning of loosening your, your foundation, all right? So he's trying to get her to question it. Did God really say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Well, that's a twist. He did, we all know he didn't say that. There's only one tree, right? So she responds, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. All right? Did God say that? No, he actually, he said most of that, but he didn't say all of it. God said, you shall not eat of it, or you shall die. But she said that God said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, or you shall surely die. All right? I've heard people um, teach on that, that, that Eve was already kind of starting to slip into religion, by adding rules that God never put, okay? I'm going, to, I'm going to try to defy that thought, okay? I want to propose to you that I don't agree with that. I believe that before Adam and Eve bit of the forbidden fruit, all things were perfect with them. I believe that there was no slippage at all, but they were actually continuing to live in the fullness of God and the fullness of his wisdom and his understanding, and that they never, they, they didn't actually start slipping into human error, okay, what we call human error, until after they fell. So I, I actually believe that Adam and Eve, even though God did not say, you, you shall not touch it, okay, God said, you shall not eat of it, and she said, and not touch it, I believe that not necessarily did God say that to them, but I believe that the spirit of wisdom said that to them. They had complete access to the wisdom of God. And so when God said, don't eat of it, wisdom said, you know what? I probably actually, I probably shouldn't, if I'm not supposed to eat that thing and I know it's going to be enticing if I get near it, maybe I should actually go the extra mile and not even let myself touch the thing that could lure me into hell. So I actually want to create a little bit more of a barrier to help me stay away from that thing. I believe that was the spirit of wisdom speaking when she said that. So many people want to find out how far they can go without sinning. But guess what? If a person wants to find out how far they can go without sinning, you already are functioning from a sinful mindset. Okay? That's, not how the, that's not how the Spirit of Christ operates. So wisdom would say, if God said, 
I shouldn't eat of this thing. I probably should actually not even hang out with it. So I'm going to create a boundary that's going to protect me from absolute collapse, spiritually, moral failure. Come on. I don't think that was a fallen state. That was pre-fall. That means they were functioning in the fullness of God's wisdom at this point. Okay? So that's wise. So when you know, like, if something's not okay, like, we can either say, well, how, how much can I get away without crossing the line? Or you can say, man, I've got the entire world. God's given me the full kingdom. Why do I want to get distracted with this one little tiny section? When, when, why do I want to try to get access to that, have entitlements to get me access to this thing? I'll just try not to cross that line. When, when you could actually turn away from it and say, look, man, do I want this little thing to rob me of all that? Or do I want to set up wisdom that says, maybe I'll figure out a way through wisdom to bypass the vulnerability of enticement to that thing? Boom! <laughs> May the Spirit of the Lord drop these things deep in your hearts. Let me continue. So, so she's responding. The devil's trying to deceive her, to, to get her questioning, what did God actually say? Oh, no, well, here's what he said, and here's the wisdom that comes with it. And so then he responds, verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. Do you think he was quoting her right there? When he said, You shall not surely die, you think he was responding to what she just said? No, she actually didn't use the, the words, you, with the, When you touch it or eat of it, you, will die, you shall surely die. She didn't actually say it that way. But God did if you, you know, prior to this. God's the one who said, You shall surely die. So he wasn't actually quoting back to her what she said. He was quoting back to her what God said to them, which means that Satan was lurking in the garden, listening to everything God was saying to them, trying to find some way he can use to twist what God said and entice. Okay? Isn't it amazing that we have no idea, it doesn't seem that when Satan was listening to God talking to them, we, it doesn't show us any indication that Adam and Eve even knew he was there. Why? Because God had not opened to them the realm of the knowledge of evil. They were completely covered, completely protected. Amen. All right. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You're going to have revelation to something you didn't have before. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He wanted to make them like God. Okay? He wanted to make them like God, but it literally said in the earlier chapter that God created them in his likeness. Likeness. He's saying, you want to be like God? They were already created in his likeness, so they already were like God. All right? As a matter of fact, they were his children, and they were in spiritual union with God, so they were already one with him and in unity with God. They were part of him, and God covered them. It says that they were naked and not ashamed. Why? Because they were covered in God's presence. Okay? 
covered in God's presence. <clears throat> and so they were already like God because they're created in his image and they were one with him. Amen? So he's saying, if you want to be like God, if you want to become wise, be like God, uh, you're gonna, you can know good and evil by doing this. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Okay? And, and I just want to, let me just come back to some of this. Satan usually starts his journey with deception, trying to get you to, to question or adjust your belief system. And let me say, this modern culture we're in, driven by Satan in a lot of ways, is trying to get people to question, do we really believe the things that the Bible says? Or maybe that's not what it probably actually would mean. Or maybe... That's not actually what love would look like. So the enemy tries to do everything he can to get us questioning the things that God said. Okay, So he tries to bring deception, and then from a place of deception is when he'll bring temptation. He wants to try to introduce a concept to you that, that there's probably going to be something in this that's going to actually be a pleasant thing that you would be missing out on if you don't do it. Okay? So he wants to try to lure people in to something that they shouldn't do because they might miss out on something. They got FOMO, fear of missing out. He says, you shall not surely die. Okay? He, he said, you'll be like God. You're going to know good and evil. You'll be like God. And she, she saw, it's going to make me wise. <laughs> she already had the spirit of wisdom. So this was bringing a form of wisdom that was disconnected from God. Okay? <clears throat> they were already created in God's image. They were already created in His likeness. They were already like God. But, and, and so they're already in, in union with Him, covered in His glory. But I want to say this, that, that here, here's what the enemy's goal is here. To be like something in and of yourself... Okay, means that you have to actually be a separate entity from this thing in order for you to try to be able to match the thing you're trying to be like. So, so what was together, if you want to try to make it like it, separated, like in and of its own, it's got to be separated, and then it's got to look at it and say, I'm going to try to be like that. I've got to be separate in order to try to match that thing to be like it. You guys, you guys follow me. All right. Okay, so, so Satan was trying to get them to try to become like God, trying to convince them that they're not actually like God good enough, and so that it's in and of themselves they're going to find a way to become more like God separated from him. So the goal is actually to get us disconnected with God. That's the goal. Get disconnected from God. When you become disconnected from God, you're on your own. You have to try to live up to whatever you're trying to be without him. you got to do it on your own. And how many of you guys know that when we try to be like God in our own strength, we will fail miserably? Okay? That's what religion tries to get us to do. But Jesus said in John 15, 5, in the, when he told the parable of, of he's the vine 
and we're the branches. He said in verse 5, he said, without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And so even if you think about the picture of, of the vine and the branches, the branches literally have to be completely connected in union with the vine in order to be alive and to bear fruit and be worth anything, right? But, but Satan literally was trying to get them to be, uh, to, he, he knew there are branches, not the vine, but if I can get you to detach and look at the vine, you might become a vine yourself, but completely disconnected. What happens when you break a branch off a tree or a vine? It withers and dies. So in the day that you eat of it, you become separated, you become on your own, dying you shall die. Okay? Dying, you shall die. You, you, you might still look good for a little while, but it's going to wither up and fall apart soon. Disconnected. That's what God was trying, or sorry, that's what Satan was trying to do. He saw these, the, the children of the Most High God as in union with him, and he hated it, and he, he hates it because he lost all the good things he had in heaven, and so he wants to get back at God. How can he do it? He can try it. He can't hurt God. Okay, God could just do, and he's done forever. Okay, how can he hurt God? By hurting those he loves. And so if he can get those he loves disconnected from God, he knows they're going to die. And then he won. Okay, you guys follow me? So God was shielding them from the knowledge that he, had not, that he never wanted for them to have. He was protecting them from the realm of evil. Okay, it was total protection. And God was shielding them from ever needing to know or experience darkness and curse, fallenness. He, God knew that the moment that they would open their eyes to evil, which they never had had before, it was going to open the doors to Pandora's box and all of hell would begin to flood in through the gateway that those who had dominion surrendered to him. How's everybody doing this morning? Okay. Before this day, Satan had no authority at all in this world. None. In order for him to try to get any power in this world, he had to legally receive it. If he didn't do it legally, it wouldn't have lasted. Okay? So the only way that he could legally receive it, first he had to bring deception to confuse the things that God had already said. And from a state of confusion, he was able to tempt them, to entice them into a perceived better life, which was not better. Okay, but it seemed like it in the moment. But then in that, in that situation, their sin became surrender to Satan. Okay, they literally bowed to Satan without even ever thinking that they were going to worship Satan. They worship Satan. This world is full of billions of people who are worshiping Satan every day and have no clue that they're worshiping him. Most people would say, there's no way I'd ever worship him. Well, are you living under his kingdom or under Christ's? 
Because whether you mean to or not, you're worshiping him because you're, you're staying in that place of yieldedness and surrender to his lordship, okay? So they handed all the authority that God had given to them over this earth. They surrendered it, legally gave it over to Satan. Horrible, horrible. And so he became, the Bible calls him the God of this world, okay? It's the lowercase g, obviously, he is no match for Elohim. But he's the God of this world, and he's called the Prince of the Power of the Air. You guys are familiar with those terms, right? Okay. So in, in, in this one moment of eating from the apple, immediately, Adam and Eve, humanity, became slaves to Satan, slaves to sin, slaves to darkness, slaves to death. All right? So hell flooded in to the earth and became the Lord, the, the kingdom of this earth. Pretty wild, right? And then Eve, Adam named Eve, Eve, and Eve means the mother of all living. So when, she, when they had their first children, it was after they fell and came under the dominion of Satan, so they actually literally gave birth to the human race in sin and bondage. And every single person who's ever been born of a mother in this earth was born into sin and bondage. And the only way out of it is to become born again of the Spirit through Christ Jesus. All right? So let's get back to Genesis 3. Verse 7, sorry, verse, let me say 6 again and then 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. The eyes of both of them were opened. The eyes of both of them were open. Eyes, not, the, not human eyes, not physical seeing eyes. The eyes of the spirit, eyes of the heart became opened to a whole realm that God was shielding them from out of mercy and love. Amen. So their eyes became open to see in evil, to see in all the things that God never intended for them. Okay. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed leaves together and made themselves coverings. Do you remember in the previous chapter, it said that, that they were naked and not ashamed? <laughs> Come on. It was pure. It was right. It was good. There was sexual wholeness and relational wholeness, and everything was healthy and clean and pure. But now, and, and there's no shame. Shame did not exist in God's kingdom. Okay? People have shame and don't even know it because it's such an underlying thing. And you, and, it's, and you start bearing fruit in other ways, anger, depression, or whatever, and you never even knew until the Lord reveals it to you that there's actually shame underneath that. Shame is one of the most powerful things that the enemy tries to use. Do I need to swap my mic out? I don't know if the batteries are dying or not. Shame is one of the most powerful things the enemy will try to put on people to try to subdue them and cause them to feel inferior to everything that God has put in them. <clears throat> All right, so they, they had shame. 
Let's see if this is better. That one's not off yet. Am I good? All right. <clears throat> so they had shame. They, they realized that they were uncovered. Why would they all of a sudden be uncovered, but they weren't before? I believe God's glory was covering them. His goodness was covering them. And so they were actually covered, but now they actually stepped out of that, and God had to pull it off, and now they're on their own. Okay, They, they chose to become independent by separating themselves from God and trying to be like God on their own abilities. So they became independent, and so now they're trying to function on their own. And so when they have shame and they see their condition, what do they do? They're guilty, and they want to cover their guilt, so they find fig leaves and cover themselves. So it makes it harder to see the guilt, but it does not take the guilt away. Okay? So they, they carried on putting false exteriors but still carrying guilt, all right? And so they were disconnected from God. They had to cover themselves because they chose to be on their own, all right? So they were hiding their, their guilt, but not removing it. <clears throat> Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Let me just stop there for a second, because... Prior to this, that was their normal, everyday life. God walking in their midst. And they're hearing Him walking, and in the cool of the day. Guess what, that, guess what the Hebrew word is for the word cool, the cool of the day? Do you guys know what that word is? What is it? Wind. It's, the Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Ruach, I, you, you, guys, you, guys are gonna have to, you guys are gonna have to jump in with me and start getting excited about some stuff with me. <clears throat> Ruach is the Holy Spirit. The Ruach Elohim is the Spirit of God. Ruach means Holy Spirit, it means wind, it's the breath of God. Okay? So God came and he walked in their midst right there in the paradise of this earth that God gave to them. And he's walking right there with them. Every day they're with him. And it says he's coming in the cool of the day. That was a normal thing for him. But the cool of the day is actually the wind of God blowing. Holy Spirit, the same one that hovered over this whole planet, is right there flowing right there in the middle of the Garden of Eden. And the Father God, Elohim, walking through the garden with his children that is the life that God always planned to give his kids come on <clears throat> but, they, but then they heard him they heard him coming and Adam and Eve and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the God the Lord God among the trees of the garden they hid from him why would they do that because they were ashamed they did not want God to see them in their new condition how many of you guys think that this was going to take God by surprise don't you think that if they were one with him before and then they detached from him, that he already felt the severing and he already knew that they had separated themselves from him? He knew it. He felt it and he felt the pain of it, okay? He's walking through in love, in his presence, but he felt the pain of the sin of detachment and rebellion, okay? <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? 
God must have only been limited in his understanding to not know where Adam was. Or he did know, and he's just needing him to fess up. Okay? Because God knows it all, but he needs us to be willing to acknowledge. Amen? So where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Do you guys remember that it was God who was protecting them before? And now they have to hide themselves. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you? That you should not eat. And then, and then Adam's like, well, you know, here I am. He knows he's guilty. But he's like, she made me do it. Yeah. And then she's like, well, but, but the devil made me do it. Okay, so they all, they're blame shifting. That became a new part of human culture. Okay. And so the Lord, he's obviously not happy with this. And, and his, his heart's broken, right? But, but he, now the Lord has to address each one of them. He has to address the serpent or Satan. Then he has to address Eve. And then he has to address Adam. And he's got to bring the, the penalties that are due to them, all right? And eventually he had to actually remove them from the Garden of Eden because he didn't want them to have access to the tree of life where they could live eternity in their fallen state. So actually, God's, it was actually his, his mercy that he blocked the way to the Garden of Eden because he didn't want them to have to suffer their fallen state for eternity. That's amazing. All right? Yes, they're going to go without something and it feels like punishment, but he actually was saving them from eternal hell ends, okay? So, but, but I want to I address this. Um, Genesis 3.15. Uh, oh, by the way, before I read that, God saw them in their miserable self-coverings, okay? They're, he, he probably thought, that, nice try, but that's a little pathetic. You know, you sewed a fig leaf and tried to make yourself a bikini out of it. That didn't do much. So what does he do? He, 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 God performed the first animal sacrifice. He, he killed one of his beloved creatures on behalf of, of his children. Cut, cut, cut blood. Okay, that, that is a symbol of making a covenant to bring covering. So God literally out of his mercy for the ones who completely abandoned him gave them a covering from God made out of skin, all right? That's pretty amazing. It's the first blood covenant, blood sacrifice in the Bible. God did it. All right, so God made a sacrifice. He provided a covering. And then as he's speaking to Satan in Genesis 3.15, he gives a messianic prophecy. All right, he was actually prophesying Jesus coming through this verse. He said, I will put enmity. That means that, means that you become enemies, right? I'm going to bring something against you now. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And if you're, if you're looking at your Bible, you see her seed. That word seed is capital S. Why would they put a capital S on seed? Okay, seed in the Bible language is actually talking about your offspring, Talking about your children, your children's children, and your downline, right? And so he's actually prophesying that I'm going to put 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a war between you and this woman between, and humanity, right? I'm going to create war between your seed and her seed, capital S, Jesus Christ. Okay? And he continues, he says, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, which one, if you had to get a bruise, which one do you prefer, a head or a heel? Right. You want, you'd rather have your heel bruised than your head. Okay, so it's like a little, little issue, huge issue. Okay, he's talking about Jesus coming to crush Satan's head. Come on. That's good news right there. You guys, you guys still good? You follow me good? On the day of it, you shall surely die, he said. Dying, you shall die. All right? So the, the, from the moment they did it, death set in. It took time for their physical bodies to eventually die, but death set in spiritually, in the soul, and in the body, and in relationships, and in finances, and in everything. It all entered into the realm of the curse because blessing is only under God's kingdom. Outside is curses. They removed themselves from his kingdom into the land of curse, okay? So they began spiritual death, separation from God, slavery and bondage to Satan, and, and they became oppressed by the kingdom of darkness. All right? Soul death set in. So started with shame. Okay? Then, then depression and mental disorders came into humanity. Hatred, murder, all kinds of evil, right? Physical sickness came into humanity. Sickness, disease, pain came into humanity, and then actual death because they should have lived forever, and then they died, all right? Not to mention other things got broken, like relationships, okay? The beginning of dysfunctional families. Everybody say, hallelujah, I'm not alone. <laughs> broken relationships, racism and prejudice came into the world, greed Selfishness, stealing, murders, and every sin you can imagine flooded into humanity. Sexual brokenness and confusion. Identity confusion. Curses came upon humanity. People, finances, you know, lost its blessing. They cut the flow of heaven off of his kids. You guys get the picture? Like, Like this is a bad day. This is a bad day. Everything was amazing. And then all of a sudden, oh, quap, I ruined it for all of history. <laughs> all right? Adam and Eve yielded all their God-given, delegated kingdom authority to Satan. They were supposed to be kings and queens, raising princes and princesses in a healthy family healthy kingdom, heaven on earth. And all of that got robbed from you and me. Satan became the god of this world and humanity got shackled up with spiritual chains 
and spiritual prisons. Okay? I want you to take a moment, because right now, up till now, I've been talking theology, and, and we can just kind of listen to the facts of it, and like, that's cool, that's cool, that makes sense. But I want you to take a moment, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you a visual in the Spirit of hearts of people in the world who don't know Jesus, and to think about the reality that whether they know it or not, maybe things are great, maybe not for them. That they're literally in blindness, in shackles under the lordship of Satan, and their lives are in bondage and under the domain of hell. All right? Like, we can easily take this Christian thing for granted. But then you can ask the Lord to give you perspective from Him. Even in the church, how many Christians don't actually get it that they're still living under some of the same stuff? Let's, let's get real with this. Christians still suffering with depression, still having broken relationships, still struggling with diseases or sicknesses, constant sickness cycling around in homes. Okay? Depression, divorces, orphans, any of the stuff, right? Like, you don't just automatically just get saved and boom, like everything's just gone. There's a lot, of, a lot of people suffering, and some people have learned to deal with it and cope with it so much that they don't, they've lost touch with the reality that they're still in bondage. And we can get so numb to these realities and completely miss the compassion that God has for each soul that's still struggling with something. So why do, why do we need Christmas? <laughs> Adam brought death. Jesus brought life. Adam brought bondage into Satan's dominion. Jesus brought freedom into the kingdom of God. Come on. Last week we sung, O Holy Night. I want to read a few of the verses on this. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. Nice Christmas carol so far. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Savior. Why is He called the Savior? Because humanity is shackled in bondage. But the Savior came to set the captives free. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. I used to not pay attention to the words, so I just heard pining and thought it was talking about pine trees. <laughs> pining is not a word I use except for trees. All right? 
But pining means suffering a mental and physical decline, especially because of a broken heart. So it says, long lay the world in sin and error, suffering mental and physical decline and brokenness. That's what it's talking about. Till he appeared, okay, this is the condition of the world, until he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. Whoa. People in bondage and no hope at all, but all of a sudden, hope showed up. And now I see somebody loves me who can do something about this. Light came into darkness. All right? Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. There was so much happening in the spirit realm when Jesus was born. Like Satan had lordship over this place, and all of a sudden, all of heaven broke open. And heaven came, and humanity, <laughs> where dominion has to come from, okay? Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Chains shall he break. For the slave is our brother, and his name, all oppression, shall cease. Come on. This is powerful, powerful, prophetic declarations. Come on. I, I want to I just tell you, I know we know this. I'm preaching to the choir because we're all kind of the choir in our small church. That we already have been given our greatest Christmas gift. And it's Christmas itself. It's Christ coming. Amen? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish. Everybody's perishing, except in Christ, but have everlasting life. Come on. So He's restoring all that was stolen from Satan. Come on. In John 1.29... John the Baptist saw his cousin and he saw the Spirit of God on him and he prophetically knew who he was. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's put that picture up there, Dennis. See that? Anybody know what that is? It's a manger. Not the kind that you see out in front of the corner church right? This is made out of stone. I want to read something from Facebook that I read. <clears throat> Interesting article about the manger that Jesus was laid in. Of mangers, sorry, of course mangers are an animal feeding trough, but in ancient Israel they were made of stone, not that you would see in a modern day nativity scene. Not comfortable, but great for protection. That's why those who were experts in this matter, the priests would put their newborn lambs in them for protection. But not just any lamb. The unblemished, perfect lambs that were used in the sacrifice for sins. And Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, was famous for their unblemished lambs used for the sacrifice. These lambs had to be perfect 
So they would wrap them tightly in cloth and lie them in a manger to keep them safe. This is why... This is exactly why the only time mangers are mentioned in Jesus' birth story is when it was being told to the shepherds. In Luke 2, it says, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. The shepherds would have understood this, par- this powerful parallel. They knew what the cloth and the manger meant. This baby would be the perfect Lamb of God the Messiah who would sacrifice his life for the sins of the world. Come on. That's amazing. I always wondered why they put him in a feeding trough. That makes more sense now. It's amazing. Those, those shepherds out there, I always just thought they were just shepherds, but I, I think that they probably were actually employed by the by the levites that were making sacrifices okay so so this is like a powerful experience for them i want i want to say something that you may or may not have ever thought of before but i don't believe that genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 is the first thing in the bible and i'm not talking about some weird later writings of some false prophet I'm actually talking about Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. When it says, it's talking about, um, it's talking about the mark of the beast or the beast or whatever. I'm not going to focus on him. But it says whose names, some of the people who followed him, we're not focusing on them, but their names have not been written in the book of life. How many of you guys believe that your name is written in the book of life? Amen. All right. The book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The, this says the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. All right? When God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, and He created the six days, this says that even before that, when the foundation of the world that the lamb was already slain. Jesus wasn't the Son of God who came 4,000 years later and then died on the cross as kind of an afterthought of the fallenness of humanity. God knew everything that was going to happen, and Jesus already gave his life for every single human before he even created the planet that he put humanity on. Jesus already had gone to the cross and died and resurrected before the day He said, let us make man in our image. <laughs> 1 Peter 1, 18-21 says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold for your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ. Everybody say, the blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. (laughs) 
but was manifest in these last times for you. So Jesus already in the Spirit of heaven already gave His life as a sacrifice, already was a lamb that was slain and bled and died and resurrected before He ever even came to that stable. Before God even created this earth, Jesus already was dead and resurrected and shed His blood to redeem everything that would ever fall after the fall. Amen? The cross is in an eternal present realm. It still is powerful today. It was powerful the day Jesus died on the cross, and it was powerful before God even created this earth and breathed breath in a mud clay man. It's already finished in heaven, but then it still needed to become manifested on this earth. It was done in the Spirit, and it had to come and be done in the flesh. You guys follow me? When Jesus died on the cross, He said, it is finished. It is finished. So He was completing on the earth what He had already done in heaven. He finished in the flesh the fulfillment of what was already done in the Spirit. What happened in Eden did not catch God off guard. You guys better get excited. <laughs> Jesus had already been slain for what hadn't even happened yet. He had foreknowledge of what was coming, and He already paid the price to be the answer to the problem. Jesus came to crush Satan and all of His works. <clears throat> Come on, guys. There's so much I could say, and I'm going to run out of time, but don't worry. We still have years ahead of us. In Isaiah 53, 4-5, it's a prophecy of Jesus coming and dying on the cross. I'm not going to unpack it now for the sake of time because i got to land somewhere. But it says, Surely He has borne our griefs, which means griefs and sorrows, but it also literally means sicknesses and diseases. So He bore our, our soul sickness and our physical sickness upon Himself. And he carried our sorrows, and our sorrows also means mental anguish and emotional anguish, but it also means pain and suffering. So again, He took the, the soul heaviness and the body frailty and brokenness on the cross with Him, yet we esteemed Him smit, or stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Everybody say, He was bruised. You remember what He said to Satan? You will, you will bruise His foot, but he will, crush, he will bruise your head. He'll crush your head. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, our shalom, the, the penalty or the punishment for our shalom was upon Him and by His stripes we are healed. Amen. Everybody say that. By His stripes we are healed. Okay, listen to me. Shalom. It says that He paid the price to give us shalom. That is heaven's 
atmosphere, all right? Shalom, it means, in the Hebrew, it means peace, it means prosperity, it means success, it means welfare, state of health, friendliness, deliverance, salvation. It doesn't just mean calm it down for a little bit, take a break. It means you got something that doesn't match the way that God created it before Adam and Eve fell. Okay, let's restore that. I want to give you shalom and restore all the things that were stolen from you in that situation that's coming against you right now. When Jesus died on the cross, He was fulfilling in the flesh what He had already accomplished in the Spirit from before the foundations of the world. He was bringing Spirit and flesh together to complete it. It is finished. Everything that Satan tried to steal from humanity, everything that God had created for Adam and Eve and their downline and, and to create a family on this earth that would host heaven on earth and there would be the blessing of heaven and health and eternal life and all the good things of God and Satan tried to steal it and he's lied to everybody ever since saying this is not real for you. Adam and Eve lost it. Now it's just gloom and doom, and maybe you can get yourself by. Jesus said, no, no. We, we knew what we were doing when we created Adam, the original design. We never thought that anybody could take it away, and we still don't believe that. I already paid the price. And when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he sealed what he had already started way back before it ever even happened. Come on. I told you, you better get excited. <laughs> By his stripes, it says in 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, By whose stripes you were healed. You were healed. When were you healed? When Jesus died on the cross. It's when you were healed. I told you that the cross is in the eternal present realm. And Jesus already paid for it. You might not have it manifested yet, but it's got to come if you'll press into what He's already done. Healing is already paid for. Come on. I, I want to... I, I want to give you a few thoughts before as I close. All right? Back in Genesis, the story of creation, the story of man and woman, the story of the fall, Jesus was already the lamb that was slain before all that started. Okay? Each thing you read in that, Jesus was present having already died for each of these things. So when it says that God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was the Lamb already that was slain. Okay, When He created each day, Jesus was already a Lamb with blood dripping down His hands. When, when God created Adam and breathed, Jesus, part of the Elohim Trinity, already the Lamb that had already been slain right there. I've already died for you before you even know that I needed to die for you. It's already done. 
When when God said, don't eat of that tree, for in the day of it you shall surely die, Jesus is standing there. I've already paid for this. I know it's coming. I've already died. I've already got blood on my hands for this thing that's getting ready to happen. When they ate from the tree and Pandora's box opened and hell flooded in and they completely abandoned God and gave themselves to slavery to Satan and bore the entire human race into that slavery, Jesus was standing there already dripping in his blood. I've already died for you. When I prayed at the beginning, I was praying that the Holy Spirit will help you to see things in the Spirit. So you don't just try to catch this with your minds. Because this is powerful and deep stuff. Jesus was already there. He didn't just have foresight. He already had been slain. He already paid the price for every single detail that was going to get crippled under the curse of the fall. He paid for it. Paid for sickness. Paid for disease. He paid for pain. He paid for mental disorders. He paid for broken hearts. He paid for curses on your finances. He paid for relational destruction. Okay, all the things that happened, he already paid for it before it even happened. And then he came on the cross in the flesh and sealed the deal in the flesh realm so it could become manifested from heaven into the earth. I want to tell you that whatever your situation is, that you need to see the breakthrough come, He already paid for it. He's already standing there with blood dripping on His hands saying, I've already paid for this thing. It is finished. Come on, guys. I'm going to close with this thought. I'm going to read through some stuff. I read through this last week. But when before Adam and Eve sinned and they were in the perfect realm of life and then it all got stolen from them, Jesus died on the cross and resurrected to restore all of it back to God's original plan and design. I want to read through some of these things. I'm going to declare these over you right now. I want you guys... I want you to think about what your area of need is that needs to be restored to God's original plan. What is your area that you need to see a breakthrough in? All right? I want you to see the lamb who was slain that's already there with you in that thing. Ready to put his blood on it. Come on. God wants to restore original design to new creations, all right? He wants to restore the Ruach, intimate presence of the Holy Spirit, like it was then. He wants to restore God-breathed destiny. He wants to restore being surrounded in all ways by the goodness of God. Being sheltered and protected from all evil. Absolute protection. He wants to restore identity, wholeness, and security, which includes sonship to God, confidence. I don't know if you were putting music on, but actually it would be a good idea. Confidence, where there's no doubts in who you really are. Restoring God's DNA. Do you know what DNA is? It's the... It's the... 
divine nature of the Almighty. Amen? So restoring perfection, restoring eternal life, restoring physical health. Physical health. Wholeness. Purity. Righteousness. Wisdom. Understanding. Power. Come on. He wants to restore us being completely covered in His Shekinah glory. I'm giving you guys the dessert right now. Stay with me. He wants to restore dominion to you. Authority. To take dominion over the areas that God has called you and put you in. Okay? He wants to restore God's total blessing on everything. The ability to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth under an open heavens. He wants to restore royal family of perfection and healthy relationships. He wants to restore authority and power and ability to conquer and bring, under, bring things under your rulership that He's given you. Okay? Dominion. He wants to restore dominion as princes and princesses in this world. The delegated authority to reign in God's kingdom on the earth. Face-to-face encounters as your baseline. Come on. Direct access to the third heavens, the tree of life. Your spirit will grab a hold of this one of these days, and you're going to be like, you won't be able to stop dancing. Wholeness. He wants to restore wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Total provision for all things, even during inflation time. Shamelessness, which means restoring dignity, confidence, peace with self others, and God. He wants to restore sexual purity and wholeness to people who have forfeited that. He wants to restore us walking with God in the presence of the Ruach, the wind of the Holy Ghost. Come on. You guys all right? Why don't you guys stand with me? I, I, felt, I felt God put it in my heart to spend these two weeks talking to you guys about this. God's original plan, original design, and, and the ultimate plan of Satan to try to rob humanity of this. I felt like God wanted to help us to remember that these are actually the very fundamental, basic, key focuses of His kingdom. It's why Jesus came. Okay? It's why Jesus came. We can listen to these things and think, good, that's, that's interesting, that's good, yep, I get that, I see that. And we can gloss over it and miss the fact that your Savior has arrived, ready to break chains, 
and restore all things. And if you miss that, you're missing everything he has for you. Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord right now? Why don't you guys just take a moment and, and just thank him for the work he did on the cross to set you free from all the things that, that the enemy has tried to bring. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And ask him to show you, ask him to show you the brokenness of humanity. And if there's even brokenness in your life or in your family's life, ask him to show you things that, that, that are evidences of the results of the fall that haven't been restored yet. Because those things are things he wants to put attention on. Just let, just let something, whatever he, whatever he wants to point out to you, let it just sit on you right now for a moment. Just focus on that thing. Ask him to give you his heart for that. I want you to see Jesus standing with you right now, looking at that, that particular thing. Standing there, dripping blood that was shed on the cross. And he wants to cover that thing in his blood. He paid a price to bring restoration. He wants to see breakthrough happen. He's trying to get us back into the restored original plan. Why don't you start just telling Jesus thanks for what he's already paid for. Just tell him thanks in your own words. Thank you. Thank you that you're the lamb that was slain before this problem ever existed. Tell him thanks. Tell him thanks for already paying the price for that breakthrough to come. Breakthrough. Why don't you guys declare this word with me? Breakthrough. Speak it to that thing. Breakthrough. Speak it again. Breakthrough. And then declare this. Restoration. Say it again. Restoration. He restores all things. Say that. He restores all things. Hallelujah. Lord, I ask you to minister the redemption, the restoration of all things, Lord, to these hearts right now. I ask you, Lord, to let this stuff go deep into our faith. Deep into our faith. Lord, because these are the foundations. When you came and walked this earth and healed and set people free, brought hope, You'd already paid the price for it. And you're setting humanity free to live like sons and daughters of God, heaven on earth. I ask you to release breakthrough right now on everything that needs breakthrough in Jesus' name. Thank you, God.